All right. Well, man, we're so glad that you guys are here today. Part two of Crazy Makers. Everybody say crazy. All right. I'm glad you're here. We're going to learn how to deal with difficult people. Here's what I know is that if you live in this world, you're going to find somebody that's crazy uh, like you or crazier than you. And you're going to have to learn. How, we have to learn how to live with people because here's what God called us to do something unique is to reach those who don't know him. But here's what I found out that if you don't like those people, it's hard to reach them. Have you ever noticed that? Like if somebody bothers me, I'm really bothered by the idea that they just are crazy and I don't want to have anything to do with them. So anyway, we got to figure out how to deal with this crazy thing called difficult people. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're in part two of our series called Crazy Makers. If you weren't here last week, I'll give you the summary of how we kicked off this series. The whole point of this message is, is that in John chapter 13, which is a book in the New Testament, John chapter 13, it's a life of Jesus. And it tells this moment where Jesus actually says, listen, you need to know this, that I have called you to love people. And he said, here's how people will know you're with me. Like they'll know you're a Christian. It's not by your bumper sticker or like how you check Christian on Facebook or how you talk really, really nice. Or you even pray at the dinner table. He says, the way they'll know you're Christian in this world is if you love people by love. And so we all say, okay, love. But if you notice that there's a lot of definitions of love in our culture. And so what Jesus actually uh, tells us, and then Paul lines out for this in first Corinthians 13, what love is. And he goes on to say that it isn't this and it isn't that. And it isn't all these crazy issues that you think you know, and it's not it isn't all these issues that, that you feel like all the culture that says this. He says, here's what love is, and he lines up all these cool things. And you've heard of 1 Corinthians 13 because, well, you've been to a wedding, right? And they read love is patient and love is kind and all that. And so uh, what, what we re failed to realize was Paul was rebuking the church on how to relationally connect with people. And so uh, last week we kind of unpacked this idea, and the first thought about how to deal with difficult people was to look in, then look out, right? It was this idea that you need to know who you are, how you see you will ultimately determine how you see other people. Because if you don't see you as a child of God, as a representative of the king, then you don't walk around. It's like if you walk around like you're just you who you are and you just represent you, you do whatever you want. But if I represent God, God, and my point is to be loving as for God, then I'm going to be a little bit different with the people that I'm talking to. So today we're going to be in part two of this, and it's going to be a little interesting. We're going to talk about Matthew chapter 18. And so before we get there, just a little context on really exactly kind of how that is. So Matthew is a book in the Bible. It's the first book in the New Testament, and it's what we call a gospel. A gospel is simply just a life of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's how he's born and how his life was, and then really how he died and, and resurrected. And so Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry, and he's walking through what, what we would call his active ministry time, and he's with his disciples. And his, the beginning part of Matthew 18 is funny because it almost would seem like uh, kids asking mom and dad, who's the best? And they ask Jesus, they say, hey, who's the best in the kingdom? And, and Jesus kind of rebukes them. It's a little funny in the only way Jesus does. And then the middle part of the scripture, he talks about how Jesus loves so many people. But then the like middle to last half of Matthew 18, he really addresses this idea of connections with the church, like relational connection. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, pick it up. And he says, therefore, and he tells this story real quick. He tell, This is a, what we call a parable. If you've never heard of a parable, it just means it's a story. And Jesus used stories to really highlight in metaphorical terms, uh, ideas of the kingdom. And so he says this, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like, now what you need to know, pause for a minute. We might not get through this scripture because there's a lot to talk about, but the kingdom of heaven, whenever Jesus references that, what he's referencing is the kingdom way of living. Cause a lot of churches would say, Hey, if you would just get through this life, then one day you'll get to heaven. And Jesus said, actually, Hey, listen, that's a great idea because yes, one day you'll have Jesus and you'll have God and there'll be a kingdom way in 
heaven someday. He said, but Jesus, he, Jesus said, I came so that you can have kingdom heavens like way right now. Like you can have heaven right now in your life. You can have heaven right now in your relationships. You can have heaven right now in your finances. You can have heaven in, in, your, in your physical body. You can have heaven. Like this is the way God designed it. So anytime you see that, that's what he's saying. So he says, kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. What you need to understand about 10,000 bags of gold is that it's a lot. Like 10,000 bags of gold in the Old Testament sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot now. It's a lot. And what you don't know, most theologians and, and, and biblical scholars would look at that and they say, here, that was the one way Jesus could, like, it was the highest form of currency they had a word for. So he, what he was saying was, he says, this guy owed the king so much he could never repay it. That's the point of the 10,000 bags of gold. That's important. So verse 25, since he was not able to pay, again, we found that, the master was ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he be sold to repay the debt. Side note, just remember, your sin never just affects you. That's not even in my notes. I'm just giving you this for free. Your sin never just affects you. Your bad decisions never just affect you. You know that. You want to know why you know that? Because you made a mistake one time and you thought it was only going to bother you. And then it started bothering all the people that were around you, right? Yeah, you, it never just affects you. Never. It always affects other people. Verse 26, he says, at this, at this, the servant fell on his knees and before him. And this is what he asked him to do. This is crazy. This is what he asked him to do. He said, be patient. Everybody say patient. patient. Come on, like you got Red Bull and you say patient. patient. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So let's recap. Guy owed a lot of money to the king. The king said, it's time for you to pay. The guy asked the king, said, be patient with me. The king said, okay, I'm going to be patient with you. All right. Now, he didn't just relieve a small debt. He relieved a big debt. All right, now we're going to keep going. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, so this is the guy who now was just given patience to. He says, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, that's different than 10,000 bags of gold, right? So we have 10,000 bags of gold to 800 silver coins. And you would think this guy would go out of his way and say, man, I've been given so much grace. How could I not give grace to this guy? Let's find out what he does. He says, he grabbed him again and began to choke him. Oh, oh, that's a different response than the king did to him. He has a, a more unique way of talking to someone, I guess, more relationally. weird. But anyway, payback. This is what he says. Pay back what you owe me. So convenient amnesia in the moment. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him and said, this is what he asked him. What? That's a, it's familiar. He said, be what? Be patient. Come on, say, say it again. Oh, so he asked him the same thing that the guy asked the king. So guy, okay, well, you would think if he's asking for the same thing back, now, he's reminding him, come on, you were patient, right? Okay, come on. You, somebody was patient with you. You could be patient with me. This is what he did. He was patient, right? No. Verse 30 says, but he refused. Instead, he went off and the man had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. Now, I want you to see this. This is the difference. I'm going to bring it in a reality term. So it was 20 years debt to, 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 and $25 million versus 100 days debt and $5,000. Okay? 20 years and 25 million to 100 days and 5,000. Clearly, this guy is not getting the grace that was given to him. And we find out what happens. This is the repercussions. Verse 31, it says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So some people saw what had happened. The master called the servant in, You wicked servant. He said, I canceled the debt. I gave you patience. 
I was patient with you. Because you begged me to. Verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow church? I gave you patience. Shouldn't you have been patient with that person? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers, tortured him until he should pay back all that he owed. An interesting story that Jesus tells about how to deal with difficult people who offend you, who hurt you, who, who slander you, who offend, who do something to you that you did not deserve. And with that, Let's pray. God, we love you, Lord. Thank you that you came into this place, God, that you are here right now. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would do only what you could do. Because I can only create words on a page, but God, you can create life transform, transforming truth for people as they walk out of here. They could be different, better, changed, excited for the goodness of God. We pray that right now, Lord, you would speak to us in the only way you can in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. How many have ever been offended in here? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand like you put deodorant on this morning. Raise your hand. Yeah. Everybody should have your hand up because you have been offended. You probably got offended on the way to church today somehow, some way. I mean, let's just be honest. This is San Antonio. And if you drive on the road, it's pretty easy to get offended. That's why I always tell people, like, don't put, like, a Jesus sticker on your car because it's like... It's real easy to not be Jesus in San Antonio, you know. I've been offended before. Shoot, I've been offended all the time. I was just in a human condition. But I remember particularly one particular time I got offended. I was, uh, I was in high school, and I was trying to get a job. And I don't know if you know this, but in high school, it's kind of hard to get a job because you don't know what you're doing. You're trying to put applications out. And so I did what every high school kid would do. I went to uh, the mall. And I said, I'm going to go get a job in the mall. And so I went to this place. And, and I'm not going to name the store because, well, I was... I need forgiveness. And so anyway, uh, and so like I, I try to get in this store and it was a, a clothing store inside the mall. And you would know it if I told you and, and there's no point in talking about it because, you know, it's just a terrible store. So anyway, we went to the store and I said, hey, I would like a job. And he said, all right, man, we'll fill out this application. I went through all the application process and, and I got on the, the thing. And then, so they, we, we went we got to round one, which was the group interview. How many of y'all have been in a group interview before, right? It's terrible. It's terrible because all, you, all you're trying to do is just get in the group and stand out in the group. But you don't want to stand out too much. You want to you stand out but not stand out too much because if you stand out too much, you want to offend people, but you want to be kind of like likable, but not too likable, but you want to be smiling, but not too smiling. You want to, there's all these weird kind of things, but you got to make sure you stand out in this group. So I made it past group round one to get through this interview process. So I get to the round two. So I get to meet, finally get to meet the assistant manager, you know, so I'm walking in the assistant manager and he's like 12. I'm like, how are you an assistant manager? And so, you know, I'm like trying to like impress this 12 year old who, you know, I'm like, okay. And so we're talking and I'm just talking to him and he's like impressed. Cause like, let me just tell you, man, I can talk. I don't know if y'all noticed this or not. I can talk. So I was like, really, I felt like I had this guy going. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, man, you would be such a good fit. And God's just going to bless this place because you're here. Because I told him I'm a Christian. I'm like, you got to you hire a Christian because you want Jesus here, right? You don't love Jesus. You better hire me. You're not, I'm going to tell everybody you ain't no like no Jesus. And he's like, well, we got to hire you. So I said, okay. So he, he hires, he says, you're hired. I remember clear as day. This is important. He said, you're hired. I said, okay. So he said, we'll call you and let you know you're your, uh, your, your uh, schedule soon. I said, okay, no problem. So I called him after about a week, no, no answer. I called him and said, hey, man, like, I haven't got my schedule yet. Like, are you going to, you know, I would love to come start. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. We're, we're just kind of putting it all together. We'll call you back. I said, okay. 
Two weeks go by, I'm like, this is not normal. Like, this is not normal. Like, I don't understand. Maybe it's just the way they do it, but I'm just starting to feel that funny feeling. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, that funny feeling you get in your gut, like something's not right. So I, I finally, I just said, you know what? I, I call him. He didn't call me back, so I'm just going to show up to the store. So I showed up to the store. I walk into the mall. You know, I'm looking good because I'm like, hey, maybe he want me to work right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to go. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do something. So I walk up to uh, the guy, and, and he's in the, the store, and I walk in, and I go, hey, man, I haven't got my, my schedule yet, and there's a bunch of people around. And he looks at me, and I'm not kidding, he kind of looks me up and down, and he was like, oh, man, like, we hired someone else that was cooler than you. Yeah. Everybody say, oh, because th- that's messed up. And I was like, You know how, like, you, that you take your breath away in a negative way? And I'm like, why would you? And in my heart, I was like, why would you say that to me? And I, but, but publicly, I was like, oh, okay. Well, cool, man. Like, hey, well, you know, and I kind of like did the cool guy thing because you can't let him know you hurt me. You know, I'm like, all right, man, I'll catch you on the flip side, and we'll be cool, and I love you, and we'll be cool, and Jesus. And, and I was really Jesus to him, and I walked away so hurt because inside, I was rejected Inside, I was offended. Inside, I was hurt. And I was like, I hate this place. And then for the next like six years, 16 years, 60 years of my life, I was walking around telling people, don't go to that store. It's the worst store ever. I had every Facebook group that was like anti that store. I didn't like the jeans that they sold. I didn't like the people that were there. I mean, I start, I was like, I, it was like I invented the, 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 like, hey, I'm going to boycott this place and you need to boycott this place. If you're a Christian, don't go there. It was like on like Donkey Kong. All right. It was bad. And I remember talking to my, uh, my pastor about it, and he was like, man, he goes, you seem hurt, offended, and I go, yeah, he offended me, and I said, but I'm, I'm boycotting him, <laughs> and he goes, oh, man, he goes, are they still open? I said, yeah, I think they're like breaking records right now, <laughs> sale records, but listen, they ain't getting my money. And uh, I don't even know why I told you that story. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, here's what I found. Like, isn't that interesting? Like, that's just one story in a whole long list of story in my life of things I've gotten offended at. Isn't it so easy to be offended today? Like, just think about it for a moment. What is the thing that offends you? What is the thing that makes you bitter? What is the thing that somebody can do to you where all of a sudden you just feel offended? Maybe it's something like, Sound driven, uh, you know. I know some people are kind of quirky. Like you may crack, you may crack your knuckles. You know what I'm talking about? Like y'all crack your knuckles, and when some you can crack your knuckles, but if somebody cracks their knuckles around you, it you lose your mind, right? Because it kind of drives you crazy. Uh, you know, could be somebody who eats uh, eats loud. And we got like the crunchers, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know the, the crunchy the crunchy eating people, and they don't even know they're doing it. They're in blissfully unaware, eating their corn nuts, just cracking away. Is anybody else offended by that other than me? All right, I got one. That's good. Could be sound driven, you know, people could offend you somehow. Or, or, or I remember one time I was talking to somebody, and they had like an aversion to, they were offended by the people that use the word moist. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else offended by that? Like, I'm like, you just got, you're looking to be offended. That's just, you're just looking for a way to be mad at something. You just walk around mad, just angry face, just emoji angry all the time. 
Uh, could be social offenses. Uh, you know, I know sometimes people like come up and like they're really close talkers. You know, I meet a lot of people, and sometimes people just kind of get up right here. You know, anybody have, anybody get offended by those types of people? Anybody have personal space issues? Raise your hand. In personal space issues, you know what I've learned about those people? What I do? I used to kind of like back off. Now I lean in. I go, yeah. And so we're like, I don't know. Just the way I do it. How about things that happen at your house? I mean, isn't it easy to be offended by your family the most? Like, I found, like, sometimes I'll go to the, anybody ever go to your fridge, and you open up, and you, you, were, you had a hankering, you know what I mean? I don't even know what that word is, hankering. You had a, a, a desire, can we just be normal, a desire to drink milk, and then you go in, and then you grab the carton, and you're ready to drink it, and it's, like, gone. Or the orange juice is gone. Or the, the, you went to the, oh, this is the worst. When you go to the pantry and you open up the bag of chips and they're like almost all gone. Only crumbs. Come on. Like y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you don't want to offend me. You eat all my chips. You will be, I will be offended at you. Um, you know, putting, I, I, my wife had this one thing. She goes, I hate it when you take the stuff out of the microwave and the timer is, there's still time left on the timer. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, that's you're weird. You do Jesus. You just need to be, you know, walk with the Lord. It won't bother you anymore. You know. (laughs) Or they could be real. You know, I mean, silly about those. But man, somebody could have talked about you. Somebody could have betrayed you. Somebody could have offended you. Somebody who you thought would always be there. Who would never turn their back on you. Someone you gave your life to. And now they're talking about you. And maybe there's a pain in your heart. Maybe there's somebody that just did, did you wrong in every possible way. And now there's a feeling of betrayal. I was talking with my counselor. Yes, I have a counselor. You need to have, if it just, just so you know, it's good for your pastor to have a counselor, okay? Because I, I deal with a lot of crazy people, and I'm just the craziest, so I need one more than most. And so anyway, I was just talking to my counselor, and he said, Aaron, the, the hardest thing I, I walk through with people is betrayal. It's the hardest thing. He meets with people all the time. Maybe you've been betrayed. And today, I wanted to talk about this idea of offense. Because if you are going to be in relational connection with someone, you will have an opportunity to be offended, and it's a trap. It's a trap. I want to tell you what offense is. A simple definition of offense, and we're going to put it up there. This is a simple. is resentment brought out about by evil toward us. Or I'll even, I'll even kind of abridge this a little bit. It's offense is resentment brought about by perceived evil towards us. Because sometimes what happened to you, you don't even see clearly. What we thought happened didn't really happen, but you thought it happened that way, and now you're offended. And the Bible has a lot to say about what it is to live with people. And if you're not careful, that resentment can build up over time. And before you know it, you could be caught in offense, in this trap, and never get out of it. And you want to know why that's true? Because you know someone right now who is caught, has been caught for years, and you don't even like being around them. No one does. Why? Because bitter people produce bitter environments. And no one wants to be around bitter people. So today, I, I, in the time I have left, I wanted to talk about our second way to deal with crazy people. So the first was to look in and look out, which means look in before we look out. Before, before we start with anybody, we got to start with us and examine our hearts. God, look at my heart. Look at my spirit. Am I being Jesus to people? And then, and then 
I can start looking outwards towards other people. So now as we look outward towards other people, I want to talk about how to be patient and not offended. How to be patient and not offended. That's number two. That's the second way we deal with. God teaches us how to deal with difficult people. So today, to be patient and not offended. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll go back to week one when Paul outlines what, pay, what love is. The first thing he outlines love is his patient. Love is patient. To deal with people and to be relationally connected, we have to be patient. Go back to the proverb or to the, to the parable we talked about today. What did Jesus talk about that was given to the person who did the offending, he said, I'm going to give you patience. The king gave him patience. What does patience really mean? Because you and I could have a different definition of patience. I want to give you what the biblical definition of patience, because in both those parts of scripture, patience meant the same thing. And I'm going to tell you this today. In the Greek, patience simply means this. It's, um, we're all going to say this together because it'll be fun. You guys can be Bible scholars. Y'all ready? Everybody say this. Say, uh, Mekroth. Come on, say it with me. Say, Mekroth. Umeo. Say it again. Say, Mekroth. Umeo. Mekroth umeo is literally the, 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 the word patience. That's what it means. And this is what it means, okay? I want to read it to you. It says, to preserve patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. Quite literally, I'll make a simple definition for it so you and I can have it. And it's in your notes. It's on you version on our Bible app and all that kind of stuff. But it literally means this. It means endurance of evil toward us. Endurance of evil toward us. Just hang on. Sometimes it's not our sometimes it's not our reaction to somebody's evil toward us. It's our biblical response. Love. What does love? Ask yourself this question. In a moment of someone offending you, what does love require of me? Because love requires something of you as a follower of Jesus. Because someone's going to offend you this week, the, today, this month. Something's going to happen. And because you're representative of Jesus, the only jersey they know, remember, that's what Jesus said, the only way they know you're with me is through your love. And my love, Christ's love, biblical love, is patient. It doesn't take up offense. Before we even get into an idea of forgiveness, which we'll talk about in this series, before we even get into that, what if you could prevent even having to use forgiveness? I find it interesting how pastors and churches teach a lot on forgiveness, but they don't teach you how to stay out of bitterness. And the Bible starts with love being patient, not ignorant. It's endurance. It's not ignorance. It's not saying and you pretending. That's some kind of self-help stuff sometimes. You know how like people are trying to do a, well, just don't act like it didn't happen. Wrong. That's not biblical. That's not Christian. That's not even what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying pretend like it's not there. Jesus is saying look past what you should be in right now. You should be offended, but look past it. Hang on. Endure. I know they hurt you. That's okay. You know what? Just, just endure. Endure for you? No, no. Endure for them. Endure for you. Endure for the world. If we had more people stay out of offense in this world, do you know how different our world would look? 
This whole, our whole society is almost being built on this idea of offense. You're almost not cool unless you're offended about something. You looked at Facebook lately? Watch the news? Who's offended today? And if Christians start looking more and more like the world, we stop looking more and more like Jesus. So Jesus said, don't look like the world and be offended at everything that happens to you. Look like me and endure. Be patient. In fact, Proverbs chapter 10 says this, love overlooks. Everybody say overlooks. Come on, like you mean it, say overlooks. I know this is like not an amen message because people don't like to hear that. They're like, no, tell me the part where like the eye for an eye part where I can punch the dude that encroached on my yard and my neighbor is crazy and he runs the music at all hours and all the people that cut me off and you don't know about the person that I work with and they crunch really, really loud and I'm not sure if they've ever heard of a shower and all the issues that all the people that are around me, you don't know them. Tell me about the scripture that says I could cut them off. But Jesus says, wait, over, overlook, overlook, look past, look past, look past, look past. When something happens to you, look past and you represent Jesus. Here at Rise, we have, a, a, we have like a DNA and our DNA is built up of like kind of like some statements of who we want to be known as, you know. So it's not our mission or our vision, but it's built around. It's kind of like the, the blood in the veins of our body. That's weird. Anyway, but any, so like, but, but one, of our, one of our DNA statements is this. Is, uh, I'm going to put it up here because I want you to see it. We want to have a thick skin and a soft heart. We want to have a thick skin and a soft heart. The world wants you to flip that. They want you to have thin skin and a thick heart. That's what they want you to do. They want you to have like soft skin. Like you're marshmallowy. Man, I could look at you wrong way and you'd just be mad about the world. Oh, he didn't. He just, he just, the pastor didn't even acknowledge me today. <laughs> That's how all the Christians are. I went to H-E-B today. Oh, my gosh. There's just people everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's people. Yeah, I know. There's people everywhere. It's mad at the world. But we want to be thick-skinned and soft-hearted people, which means we could take a whole lot. We could take a whole lot. We could handle a whole lot. We could endure a whole lot and still have a soft enough heart to hear from the voice of Jesus. Thick-skinned, soft-hearted. Why? 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 Because we want to be patient. So you can look past the snarky remark from your family member or mom. When am I going to get my grandbabies? Oh, okay. I love you. Just look past it, right? Just look past it. Just look past it. The boss that overlooked you for promotion. Oh, well, you know, you were, you're great where you are, but I'm going to give the guy who was there half your time with half your knowledge and half your age the promotion. Okay. Well, I'm going to look past it because you need it more than I do. Somebody who you ordered your you got your order wrong, right? That the order went wrong. And you know, you don't know why. Out of all the people in the world, they got your order wrong. There's just some of those stores out there, right? It's just like, why me? I just, all I ordered was French fries and you got that wrong. I, I, you know, you look past the offenses. Why, now, why is this important? Here's why it's important. Because bitterness, if you're not careful, can trap you into somebody you don't want to be. I'm going to tell you what bitterness is real quick. I want, I want to highlight what this is. There's a hidden danger of bitterness, and I want to show you what it is. In Greek, uh, the word bitterness is actually pikaria. Uh, we all want to say that? Come on, let's be Bible scholars. Everybody say one, two, three. Pikaria. There you go. Yes, awesome. And so you just, you learn Greek. So anyway, but what this means really for us is it means is an embittered or resentful spirit. That A lot of times scholars will actually liken it to a seed. It's like a seed, like a bitter seed. And what I find interesting about a seed is that whatever you plant, that's what you harvest. Have you ever noticed that? 
So if you plant bitterness, you can't expect a harvest of joy or love. Yet we live our life bitter. We walk around, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you, and but hey, I'm going to love. <laughs> I'm going to love because God called me to love. I'm just doing what the Bible says. If you live your whole life as a Christian just doing what God said because the Bible says you're missing half of it, if not more. You know, we don't just follow what God says just because the Bible says of it. The Bible's our authority, but man, if you don't have a personal love of Jesus Christ inside of your heart where you want to model him no matter what, you're missing it because eventually you're going to run into that person that pushes on that bruise. And before you know it, someone's going to come at it and you're like, oh, I don't even know where that came from. I punched him and I didn't even know I had it in me. Why? Because if you plant a bitter seed, you produce bitter fruit. Bitter seeds produce bitter fruit. And you can't expect to love people if you're planting bitterness in your life consistently. My, my son Titus came home one day, and he had a, a, from this class, you know, they were learning about plants. And, you know, they give the kids cups with soil, and they put the seed in it. And they gave him, so he gave him a seed, and then they gave him a little cup with soil. And he came home, and it was a, it was a certain seed. And I go, oh, man, what did you, you know, well, let's plant it and see what, what, it, what it grows, you know. And he goes, well, I can't wait to have a strawberry. I'm like, that's great. You know, is it a strawberry seed? He goes, no, it's a bean. It's a bean seed, Dad, but it's going to be a strawberry. I said, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but the truth is, we're like that with God. We think we can plant bitter seeds in our life and then produce sweet results. And then we get mad at God. God, why didn't you give me sweetness? And God's going, I don't know what to tell you. The law of sowing and reaping is pretty clear. Works with the bean seed. Why wouldn't it work spiritually in your life? So the danger of bitterness is walking around going, because if you don't know how to be patient and offend, be patient and endure, which remember, adoring the evil to you, not ignoring it, not pretending like it's not there, but looking past it, the danger of you not doing that is bitterness that ultimately will have to lead you to forgiveness. So what I'm trying to teach you is before we even talk about forgiveness, which again, we will in this series, before we even get there, I'm trying to give you a way so where you don't even have to use that. What if you avoid the tough decision one day? A lot of great sermons about forgiveness. What about being patient? What about you not taking everything so seriously? Some of you in here who are probably getting elbowed right now need to lighten up. Seriously. Like, well, you know, I just got to hold it down for God. He, somebody's got to hold the standard for the Lord. God's a big God, okay? He can hold his standard. You don't need to be around and be that ugly curmudgeon that walks around with a smile on, you know, a, a sad, frowny face emoji to everybody you see. Listen, if that's you, please don't tell them you're a Christian. Please. You're ruining it for everyone. You should be the bright. He, the Bible says he's the bright and morning star that he lifts eyes, that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The goodness that you should be a smile. You should walk around. You should, people should think of you as like, man, I, I've seen some of the craziest stuff happen to that dude. And he just act like nothing wrong. Why? Why do you do that? Because you're crazy? No. Because you know how to deal with the crazy people. You know that if my heart doesn't get embittered, then I won't have to walk through it on the other side. So how do we do that? How do we really do this? You, you have to see people the way Jesus sees people. So last week, and I'm, I'm wrapping it up. I'm, I'm done. Last week, 
we talked about for you to truly be able to love people, you have to see yourself accurately. The flip side of that is, is you have to see others accurately. You have to see the people around you accurately. Because if you see them as worthless, if you see people as sinners, you sinners, God's going to get you. I'm going to help him. Right? You met those people? I'm going to help God get you. You need to be gotten. Like, oh, okay. That love, I've seen people run to Jesus with that. No, you don't. But, but, but you have to see people, see Jesus the way, see people the way Jesus sees them. Luke 15, you don't need to turn there. There's a great story. You should read it on your own time. But there's a story of the prodigal son. You probably heard of that because it's very, in our, in our society, it's a very cultural story. But the prodigal son is the idea of somebody who offended their father and did everything he could to anger him, left, and he became a prodigal. He walked away from his father, and then the father is welcoming him back when he decides to come back and with loving and open arms. It's an incredible story, and I'll probably do a sermon series on it because there's more in that uh, story to do it justice. But you need to see the world the way. It's a great picture of the way God sees the world. God sees the world as lost children. You and I need to see the world as lost children. You in here might not be a Christian. You need to know that God sees you as a lost child, not as an evil, dirty. You, you, he wants you so desperately. He loves you so much that he sent the most important thing 2,000 years ago to reach you. That's how much he loves you. He sees you as lost children. We must see people as lost children. Our church must see people as lost children. The people who don't know God are lost. Not in a derogatory way, in a way that is just is. They're lost. They don't know the Lord. So our church is designed to reach those that don't know the Lord. Reaching people, building lives. The first one is reaching people. Because we know that once you know God, it tends to fix a whole lot of issues. The problem with the church for a long, long time, ever since the Pharisees were around, was fix your life, then Jesus will love you. The problem was is Jesus never came like that. Jesus' motto was, if you just love me, it'll tend to fix your life. Pretty amazing how all of a sudden when you get close to God, all the stuff starts fix, fixing themselves. It just figures itself out. Why? Because Jesus came for those who didn't know him. When you see people the way Jesus sees people, you can start to love them. You're a lot more patient with the people whose Jesus sees valuable. And just so you know, Jesus sees everyone as valuable. Not just the people who don't offend you. Not just the people who don't get on your skin. Not just the people that, you know, close talkers and loud talkers and people who talk over you, cut you off. Anybody hate that? People get cut. They, Jesus loves them too. And yeah, he loves the person that cut you off this morning on the way to church, challenging your Christianity. Look, <laughs> good thing I'm going to church. I need some Jesus. I'm going to close with this thought. The only way for us to truly love people and to see people the way Jesus did it, the only way for us to truly be patient is that we need to first realize that our God, Jesus, was patient. That he was patient. Remember, we reflect him. And you say, well, what do you mean patient? Like, what was he... What kind of evil was he given? I'm going to read you a scripture in Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus sitting with his disciples. This is the third time he foretells his death. And this is how he describes it. He says, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. We're going to go over there. 
The Son of Man will be delivered, so he's talking about himself, over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. That's you, that's me, that's all the people who didn't know, you know, we, we, we're not Jewish, so we didn't grow up, uh, you know, in our, at least in our religion to know him. And uh, he said, 30 verse 34 says, who will do this? This is who they'll do. This is what they'll do. This is what they're going to do. They'll mock him. They'll spit on him. They'll flog him. And then they'll kill him. And then three days later, he'll rise. It's interesting. We hear a lot about how Jesus died for us, but we forget about how he was actually betrayed. We forget that he was spit upon. We forget that he was beaten. Scripture and scholars both say that he was beaten into a point where they, he couldn't even be recognized as a man. That all the people he came to die for were the ones that ultimately killed him. You ever felt like that? All the people that you were living your life for all the people you gave your life to and they turned their back on you in your worst most desperate time they hugged you with a knife <laughs> they ridiculed him and they betrayed him and then in, in, in an incredible moment of love he endured before he died. He endured. He endured. You don't, don't endure because the Bible said so. Endure because Jesus did so. He did it for you and he did it for me. And he knew it would hurt. In fact, the Bible says that he actually asked God to not let him go do all of the pain that he would have to go through, but he knew he had to do it because he knew the pain you would be in right now, the betrayal you feel right now for someone, the hurt and the pain that you feel right now for someone, the offense that you're in, and Jesus asks us to endure. Why does he ask us to endure? Here's why. Because it is God's will for everyone to be saved. And I'll show you. You don't need to turn to these scriptures. I just want to give you a glimpse into the heart of God. For those of you who are misunderstanding the heart of God. John chapter 6 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son believes in Him. John chapter 3 says, Whoever, everybody say whoever. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. John chapter 3 verse 36. Whoever, everybody say whoever. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John chapter 6 verse 40 says, For it is my Father's will that Everyone who looks to the Son believes in Him. John chapter 11 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. Romans chapter 5 says, For God, but God proves His love for us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not some, not a few, all of us. Us, us. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But because of His great love for us, God was rich in mercy. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Now that may the Lord... Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who by grace has loved not a few, not one, not the people who are really Christian, not the people who got it all figured out. He loved all of us and given us eternal comfort. Hebrews chapter 2 says, but we see Jesus 
who is made lower than the angels, not crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for not a few people, but for everyone. And the last one is this, and you know this scripture. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. You need to know this, that the Bible is not a big, gigantic, condemning book. It's a gigantic love letter to you and to me and to all the people of the world to know that no matter what we did, no matter what we did, no matter what we did, no matter what we do, no matter what we're going to do, God's love endures for us. And because of that, we can endure, we can be patient to those who offend us. So if you were missed, if you misunderstood from any other church and any other pastor in the world that you were not loved by God, they were wrong. God is right and his word is true. That Jesus is good. And God's love is for everyone. And you have an opportunity today to give your life to him.